Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a crowd podcast. It fundamentally goes back to what is the goal? Were you noticing it in your boxing sessions? David Hay said to me, perfect practice makes perfect. Fat camp for George, what would that actually include? How hard is a three minute round? Peel the onion back further and say, no, are you fine? Taipei mail. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Buongiorno, Deck. How are you? Buongiorno. That's Italian, George. It sounds Italian when you say it. Buongiorno. Yeah, that's I'm trying Italian. to do French. What's French then? Bonjour. Bonjour. Of course. Bonjour, monsieur. Of course, because you are, what are we, counting down the days to Disneyland? I'm scared to count the days, but we are counting down the days to, to Disneyland Paris. We're shredding up for it, Deck. I've yeah, how are you getting on? I've got my purple waistcoat. It fits. Does it? No, it don't, but it will fit. How are you getting on deck? How's your shreds coming along? Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a very good challenge that you've set us, George. Um, and I feel like many other people have got on board, but there's still, what, they've got a week left? Yeah, we've got a week left to join the party. Or if you're already, if you dibble-dabbled in the party, just finish strong. Or if you have been grafting away the whole time, but grafting in silence... Don't be a hero. Send it into us. We want to hear Don't it. Don't be silent anymore. No more silence. And you are preparing for a half marathon deck. I am, yeah. It's been going not bad. It's getting there. I'm slightly regretting it, but it's coming. I'll get round. It's just the thing with a half marathon, I've done it before. The amount of training or how well your training goes basically determines how much how enjoyable it is. If you train well and the training is fun, the run is fun. If you train badly, then you the last half is painful and not much fun at all. So it's bit, it sounds a bit like Disneyland. <laughs> Strava's been popping off. Literally dozens of people are on are in the group. Big shout out to everyone who posted in there. The leaderboard of everyone's workouts is very interesting. There's a few names. I won't spoil it now, but maybe we'll look at the leaderboard on the last step and see who's posting up. Hook us up on the socials as always. GGBC Boxing Club uh, on Instagram, Twitter, definitely on the Facebook group, the Facebook community. Let's have a little look at a couple of messages we've had. Aha, West Mids Combat Sports. He said, George, Aladdin incoming when he saw your uh, your story when you did your eight rounds London Bridge run. West Mids Combat Sports, they know the score. They know that Aladdin is incoming for you. We had any more, George? You seen any, yes. any, any caught your eye? Anthony Dominici. Buongiorno, Anthony. Buongiorno, Anthony Dominici. 11 rounds. Oh, uh, He's up to nine. Steady sustained, Hagler sweatsuit on, leaking oh. Guinness, 12 next step. We're behind you, Anthony. And if you do, send us some proof though, because yes, just that is- words not good enough. Just a photo of you on the floor, like crying or something, it'll be fine. Anyone else, Deck? Oh, Harry Jack said, six threes on pads and three threes on bike and some skipping. So I'll make that nine threes and some skipping. That's pretty solid, isn't it? I mean, he's getting that boxing specific working on the pads. Depends on how hard his, his, his coach is working. Yeah, if he's doing, sure if he's doing your one where 
where you throw a couple of jabs every two minutes and then sit down again. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so this is the final Shreds ep before we have a good old uh, evaluation of the series. We've got Dan Lawrence. And obviously he was one of one of our first guests we had in the club. We wanted to hear some some real specific stuff that the listeners could could get involved in. A bit more of the stuff that people can maybe tap into when they're trying to trying to get fit themselves. I mean, there's not a lot Dan doesn't know. The cutting edge of strength and conditioning coaching. He's always bang up to date with his research. It's a treat for us today to uh, indulge in some strength and conditioning wisdom with the brilliant Dan Lawrence. Thanks for coming in, Dan. Great to see you. How you been? Been well, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Have you been to the gym today? I haven't. Um, I ran this morning. I ran Richmond Park, not the whole of Richmond Park, but some of Richmond Park this morning. It's a great run. Me and Dan used to run the Petersham Hill or Nightingale Lane. How Pe- steep? Petersham Hotel, vertical, literally. And I love the way G just said, me and Dan. I was there with a stopwatch more than <laughs> anything, but George absolutely blasted it. It was, you basically, to kind of paint the picture for the listeners, you start, obviously, at the bottom. Um, you start at the bottom, you come up, and it's, it's kind of average terrain, like, say, 50% vertical and then you hit this bend right by the Petersham Hotel and it literally just goes up and up and well G will probably say a little bit more there in terms of how taxing it is but you basically hit a point it's just like you just got to plough through how long distance wise it would probably be 100 metres your heart and lungs are screaming your legs are screaming as as Dan says as you turn that bend and you're like oh and then you just got to plough on like hope for the best but then it, it almost feels like it does another little steep kick just before you trying to reach for that lamppost at the top I like Dan and I needed a strength and conditioning coach I was training pretty much exclusively with Adam Booth and guys that Adam Booth would bring in and I just felt like I needed a, a little bit of a separation there a breakaway of my own sort of thing strength was something that I knew was important I'd worked with really good strength coaches up until that point in Pete Marciano Jez Wilcox and maybe a few others but uh, yeah saw Dan Dan was key Dan was up for it and we were lucky enough to um, train in the RFU gym, which is a part of uh, it's like a little private gym for the rugby players at Twickenham Stadium. It was hilarious in there. They'd have like 95 kilo dumbbells. And I go, Dan, get me one of them. He's like, no, you get one of them. You couldn't even get them off the rack. They were that big. At that point, were you a bit like a bit of imposter syndrome? If yeah. Fucking hell. Like, Still get that every day now. Yeah. Honestly. Even then, you're like, oh, Christ, he's just about to box Carl Frost for the world title yeah. in a fight that everyone's written him off in already. And you're yeah. like, oh, I've got to try and strengthen him here. <laughs> Where do you even start? I think in regards to that, though, it's, it's known where the athlete's at at that point. And irrespective of George being an elite level athlete and boxing for a world title on November the 23rd, 2013, was it in Manchester? Yeah. He still was lacking from an SNC point of view. His training age and weight room experience to drive the adaptations we're looking for from a strength, speed and power point of view to improve his boxing ability, they weren't... Uh, weren't advanced so um so there was some very low-hanging fruits for us and we got some very quick wins in that regard and he loves correct me if i'm wrong you love shifting that tin in the gym with a trap bar no i mean it's, it's lovely lifting heavyweights and you you will platter out but you learn that like for a fighter and someone like me who would come into the gym a little bit heavier so i'd have to um take the weight off week in week out to get down to fight weight but you want to then maintain those strength standards or you know targets that you've got i mean what i'm starting with dan it's about making those strength improvements it's about just sometimes even just doing exercise that we've never done before mm. so I used to love the sessions with Dan because I always said to Dan I want to do the explosive stuff I want to be super strong um, with that you've got to have phenomenal grip strength 
They've only got tiny little hands. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's yeah, actually, you know, I haven't got for the listener. Actually, they have small hands. They fit right in the eye socket. In the little, oh. <laughs> they don't test it. Yeah, so you, I could have I could have the extra bandage on because I still fit in them grants. Oh, grants, yeah, yeah. Punches grants. glove. Hunter's glove so uh, yeah it was great fun great fun and mm. we used to do full body it was, it was hard like you'd go home and you'd want to sleep straight away really interesting point this probably was when manual cars were around but it was interesting because we try and drive neuromuscular based adaptations brain sends a message to the spinal cord it's very taxing and George was like Dan I keep like putting the car in reverse or I'm dropping water down me at the end of the session because I'm absolutely spent now. does that mean you know that you've done your job uh, to a degree, maybe overcooked, overcooked the chicken it. a little yeah, bit yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, but um, just to give the listeners some context behind what that feels like, you know? Mm. Yeah. So with that in mind, because I've always wondered this, and I've always thought this, we've probably beyond it now, but at that point in 2013, it felt like boxing was massively behind the times with other sports in terms of S&C. And like you say, someone like George, who's there, managed a challenger for a world title, like proper top level, barely done any S&C before, or at least small amounts. Is that what you found in your career that boxing is behind the times and for you it's like open season in elite sport we talk about the aggregation of marginal gains chasing mm. the one percenters David Brailsfield the team director at Team Sky is a big advocate for that but in boxing in 2013 there was more than one percenters they were 10, 12, 15 percenters that we could really see some big wins on a lot of it was around recovery optimization so we'd have a look at you know what George was doing at that time anyway uh, from a heart rate data point of view his existing training loads also the things that have got him to become mandatory challenger for the the world title you know I'm not going to come in like a bull in a china shop and say we've got to do all of this and rip up the script it's listening to your athlete identify what works and then maybe see where there's some small wins and we can just build those wins and stack those wins over time so we don't go in with 20 things to do we might say right George maybe we can focus on one or two things and that might have just been strength and conditioning at that point um, and following a structured program but for me Declan big wins come from recovery optimization especially in boxing because these guys and girls are foot on the gas all of the time and we know that training recovery, adaptation. We are chasing adaptation. That's improvement. That's improving athletic qualities. But if you're missing that middle piece, the recovery, you're not eliciting, eliciting that change and that adaptation. Did you find, George, in the, at that point that when you're doing this, all this new stuff, were you noticing it in your boxing sessions? Yeah, no, I mean, it was hard. It was really hard to um, pinpoint specific times when you feel like you might go through a strength um, phase, you know, you might not have a big fight looming. You might be quite um, early on in your career where you might be boxing regularly, but not necessarily you got a peak for a 12-round fight with a big camp. So you can go into a strength phase and maybe you might feel a bit stronger after that. But in terms of those, that it felt much more subtle, like especially once you got past that first two, two and a half years of real life, real tough strength training to actually improve your gains. Then all of a sudden, you've had into that 10, 15% quite a bit. Now you actually made some drastic improvements and now it's about just making those marginal gains. Well, I feel like the general public sometimes watch boxing and you might look at Joshua, for instance, who looks like he's carved out of your stuff from earlier. Yep. But then you also look at Tyson Fury, who ain't carved out of anything. And like Tony Bellier, I remember he used to say, you know, if bodies won fights, then he'd be Peter Buckley. You know, and even at light heavy when he had no, no fat on him, he didn't have a six pack. You'll always have outliers. It's like going back to when Andy Ruiz beat AJ mm. and then he's, you know, eating Snickers and things like that and everyone glorified that. The <laughs> problem in the world today is people just, they don't want to dive into the specifics. They'll look at something and take it on the level that they see it and say, well, that's the reason for it without actually understanding it. You know, there's yeah correlation causation, but look, mass times acceleration equals force. But in the same breath, you know, if... Andy Ruiz didn't get him out of there in the, what was it, seventh round or something in New York, 
there's a cost to that from an energy system point of view as it goes to a 12-round fight. Obviously, you're carrying more mass. Tyson Fury, for me, is just a complete outlier. He's a freak. He's one of a kind. Um, and yes, he, you know, he does carry excess fat around the abdominal region. But, you know, look everywhere else. He's leaned through his legs. He's leaned through his shoulders. You know, he's just carrying a little bit there. So I don't think you can specifically say just because someone aesthetically looks great, they're going to be a great boxer. But the chances are that, generally speaking, if you reduce body fat, you make weight in the right way, you have some lean tissue, you're going to be a better athlete. So, Dan, can you explain for listeners, like, how hard is a three-minute round? Like, have you worked out, like, how many steps are taken per round? You know, not going to BS you. I don't know how many steps you take, how many lateral steps, how many forward steps you take in a, in a fight. But what I will say is from a, an energy system, a bioenergetic point of view, is boxing is 70, 80% anaerobic. So it's, it's very high. It's intermittent, repeated high-intensity bouts of exercise. So if you look at a heart rate monitor, it's red zone domination. It's above sort of 85, 90% of max heart rate, the majority of it. But that doesn't mean you just train that. You've got to have... An engine analogy for you. So size of the car's engine, you've got to have a big engine, but then you've got to be able to go through the gears. And you know, that's the trade-off. So no one energy system works independently from what from another. You have to, and this is the beauty of boxing and why we love it so much. In a 36-minute fight, 48 minutes of being switched on with minutes in between for 12 rounds, you've got to be utilizing all of the different energy systems. If you want to get better at the sport, do the sport. But then you can look at okay, boxing's three minutes. It's 12 rounds, it's 36 minutes in total. Does that therefore mean we get a load of weights and we try and replicate a three-minute circuit? In my opinion, no, that is not the best way to drive that adaptation. We've got to look at, okay, maybe out of camp, you're saying about coming back in camp a little bit heavy. We've got to build the aerobic base, lower intensity work, cardiac output methods. So to give the listeners some context, 45 minutes, heart rate between 120 and 155 BPM. If you're overweight coming back into camp, that might be done on a bike because you don't want to repeatedly hit the con concrete when you're carrying too much weight. Because what we'll also say is, yes, boxers are elite level athletes. For me, there's no bigger and better athletes out there. It's a, a single individual sport. You haven't got 10 other teammates backing you up. If you have a bad day at the office, you're on your ass. But they're not the best runners. <laughs> you know, they're not technically, biomechanically the best runners. So if you are overweight and you're hitting the concrete for 10, 12, 15 miles three times a week, then likely you, you're going to injure yourself over time and you're going to, you know, wear yourself out. So yeah, going back to that is improve the size of the engine and then start working through the gears with more specific work like what we call high intensity interval training, sprint interval training. I think there's, um, yeah, if you want to get better at the sport, do the sport, but there's also other more specific things you can do to drive the physiological demands of the sport. Step seems like quite an old school method mm. and, you know, chasing chickens, <laughs> stuff like that. Is there a, a value in going to an abattoir and punching a half a cow hanging off a hook? No. Uh, something John Ryder says yeah, is <laughs> old school values, modern methods. Ooh. It's like your values put on to a be old school. Yeah, we have. We actually have put that on a t-shirt. Shout out to athletes only over there in Scotland <laughs> who put that on a t-shirt for us. <laughs> yes. We'll get you one. Um, so yeah, old school values, uh, modern methods. Like you've got to merge the two. It's got to be a, a merging of taking those values, taking all of that, you know, spit and sawdust. Like that's what, it's boxing. You're punching each other in the face, you know. But in the same breath, we can drive that with some actual studies and science and research together, that's the way to uh, to get get a winning formula. It fundamentally goes back to what is the goal. 
You know, don't just do this for the sake of doing it. You know, otherwise it's just aimless. What are we trying to achieve? So even now, like we'll use Kaiser rotational wood chops. Well, yeah, you could absolutely use a hammer to to do that because it's working that sling system. It's working that rotation. But like a medicine ball may be better because there's no deceleration component. What are you always taught, Jules, to punch through a target as any boxer is from such a young age? Well, the great thing about medicine balls is you can literally release the medicine ball. So there's no deceleration. There's no slowing down before end range. So in terms of specific demands of the sport, then, you know, there, there's a place for that for sure. What about skipping? Because skipping seems to always be a sort of bonus. It's very old school and it's just like, well, boxers skip, so just do some skipping. Again, if I look at the breakdown of what is going on with skipping, we're looking at the, the muscular tendon unit of the ankle, we're looking at ground contact times. Well, now let's paint the picture of George stepping back out of range and coming back in with a counter right hand. What goes on on the floor there? Well, we look at the ankle complex, that's a quick ground contact time to then transfer energy the way it came. Skipping is what we call an extensive plyometric, repeated boom, 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 boom. And you want to be stiff on, on contact because if you bleed energy and you don't have sufficient stiffness on contact, that can be the difference between you landing a shot with a counter and not. That could be the Billy Joe Lemieux of when he went like that and he just he was long gone type thing. So I like skipping. Look, from a warm-up, yeah, get blood circulating around the body. Um, I think from a psychological point of view, George probably tell you better on this is he's in the gym, he's looking at the other fighters, he's mentally preparing for what's about to occur. Um, but again, from an SNC point of view, we're getting those repeated ground contacts that are going to make him a little bit more springy, a little bit more reactive and a little bit more robust through the ankle complex. I just like to finish with a skip as well because it's just like it's a nice gentle cool down. Yep. But it, skipping's important. I think it's really great because it's not as taxing as like running. But you, as, as Dan says, you're up on your toes. Right? Mm. And if you're up on your toes for a significant amount of time, you can skip for 15, 20 minutes just meandering through mm. watching the, watching another guy do pads or sparring and all of a sudden you've got 20 minutes in for free again boxing boxing you're, you're always on your toes you're always moving around so you're building those qualities that will then transfer into the ring and I think the first thing that would go would be your shoulders more than anything wouldn't it so you're not going to for you anyway like you're not going to get fatigued from you've skipping. seen the size of these calves oh, Dan, mate, you know, well, yeah. skip king wow. so Dan You've got this data now. How are you dealing with your fighters' temperaments and maybe their emotional sense? Will they live and breathe by that data? So will, if, if, if they do that that jump and they, they're 8% below what they should be, are they like anchoring a negative to that, to use one yeah. of your popular <laughs> phrases that I learned from you, Dan? Are they anchoring a negative to this now and all of a sudden they're ill or their missus is kicking them out yeah. or they're going to have a shit session? Or on the flip side, can they turn it around and how do you then navigate your way around their temperament? Do you, do you get to learn what a fighter's yeah. psyche is? Sometimes, let's say, they are 10 12% on the borderline of, you know, where I need them to be, down from their baseline scores. You know what it's like with objectivity and data. The first time you do it, they'll look straight over like, what did I get? But then like John Ryder wears a whoop. So a whoop is like, it looks at sleep, it looks at HRV, um, and we look at the data on that. Fundamentally, these guys and girls are probably in a chronic state of fatigue, okay? It's just about, you know, pulling them back as much as possible and optimizing recovery as much as possible. Look, this is elite sport, and if there's something out there that could give us an edge, I'm going to use it. I'm Sam Warburton, and this is Captains, a new podcast that gives you the inside story on how the most successful teams come together, grow, and ultimately win. I know I'm not the best golfer ever played the game. I know I'm not the best captain that ever captains, but I do feel that like I moved it to a new level. Each episode, I speak to the biggest names in sport as we compare notes and share stories about what it's really like to wear the armband at the highest level. I was dead behind the eyes. I never thought I'd play for England again, let alone captain them again. And that for me was darkest it ever got. 
we'll hear about the good times. Just before I lifted the trophy, I closed my eyes and then lift it, and sometimes I do reflect and I think, did it really happen? <laughs> and the bad. One of the only times I've ever broken down, just cried in, in the interview. Armband on, headphones in. Listen to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, on your favourite podcast app. Have you worked out what you believe to be the most optimal body shape for a fighter or this fighter or this fighter for this fight? Is it important that they have bigger arms or is it, big, is it important that they have sharper legs? You know, We drive performance. Performance is the number one goal. Aesthetics are a byproduct of performance um, in terms of the biceps. I know you must say that tongue in cheek. No, we obviously don't look at that. But what we do look at is stylistically, you know, with this conversation we have with the boxing coach is, let's say, want to sit down on your shots a little bit more in this fight, plant your feet, earn his respect with your own power early on. Well, that then feeds into the strength and conditioning to say, okay, in that kind of 90-90 lunge, split squat style position we need to be able to hold that base you know and then be able to transfer shots and, and transfer energy through the kinetic chain uh, from foot to fist so that then might feed into okay we might then bias more single leg loading like split squats as opposed to like your your bilateral loaded exercises like deadlifts and squats um, so that we do do but no we don't measure the biceps and the follow-on question will be then do you have fighters that because obviously it's sort of weight governed sport mm. where you're always conscious of right they're just going to throw size on straight away i can't give them exercises that everyone else can do because all of a sudden they're not going to make the weight no more it feeds back to the nutritional strategy as well you know we look at like a high low strategy from a training load point of view but also nutrition so to give some context behind that let's say monday might be sparring and strength and conditioning well that's a high day from an expenditure point of view so nutritionally hand in glove we need to then fuel that specific day. So that'll be a high day from an intake point of view. But then Tuesday, let's say it might be a, a low intensity run and I don't know, they might do some soft tissue work with the with the therapist. Well, that's a low day from an expenditure point of view. So that therefore means that's a day that we can start tapping into making weight. But in terms of putting on muscle mass, do we buy certain exercises? Look, certain exercises are going to create more tissue change and damage and create more DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness and fatigue, like split squat movements, generally speaking, as opposed to a trap bar deadlift. So again, it goes back to what is the goal. But we do see almost like a pendulum shift, like early on in camp, or even if we're not in camp, we can bias some building robustness, building tissue tolerance, maybe increasing the rep range and the load might be low to moderate. And then we might manipulate tempo. We might do slow controlled eccentrics, which we know creates you know a lot of muscle damage and a lot of fatigue. But then as camp uh, begins properly, we then might look at more strength and power-based adaptations. So we take the tissue change we've done in more of what we call a hypertrophy phase, improve muscle cross sectional area, we then go into strength and power where we try and raise up a limit of force production, increase the size of the car's engine, but then also uh, work more kind of power dominant movements as we get closer to fight night. So it depends on the athlete. Some are more prone to building muscle, but in the same breath, because of the nutritional strategy, we don't really overly concern ourselves with them putting on too much tissue. George, you phoned Dan and you said, can you come and do my new podcast? Dan, what if you'd answered and George had said, I'm coming back? Let's role play this deck. Mm. Wow. I've only got 10 weeks. Fucking way out of shape, mate. What do you recommend? What shall I do? Shall I, first of all, shall I go with it and will you help me? 
I think the first four weeks, if you don't mind me saying, would be fat camp and uh, we get a bit of tin off and then, uh, you know, we work with focus on the other qualities from there on in. Fat camp for George, what would that actually include? Would he be running? There probably would be some running. Would there be running four times a week at eight miles or 8K even a time? No, absolutely not. Too much stress on the joints. So we can say, how do we get and drive that adaptation without the negative impact of, well, impacts, I suppose. Um, so no, he, we'd probably do a lot more bike work and off feet work and getting punching. And the main manipulation would be around nutritional strategy as well. But it doesn't mean we're just going to follow a crash diet. It means, again, fuel for the work required. Dr. James Morton of uh, Liverpool John Moores University, great research paper, is um, on the hard days, we fuel him. And on the low days, we'll underfuel him to, to help him make weight. So you don't take any conditioning uh, sessions with the guys where they might do three minutes on, minute off with different exercises, that sort of thing? So with that, again, it's like risk reward. There's a cost implication to it. They're going to be under fatigue. I'd rather keep it specific. Like we say, do the sport to drive that adaptation or focus on your runs, focus on whatever else. Because again, the cost of that is far less. Whereas if I get them doing swings, slams, thrusters, like push press and all of that stuff, there's going to be a fatigue element to that that's then going to bleed into the next session. I think, again, keep the goal the goal. Don't make the water murky. And if you want to do your S&C to drive strength, speed and power, go and lift your weights, go and do your explosive work, go and do your medicine balls, go and do your plyometrics. But then if you want to you know, get better at the sport, either do the boxing or then do your energy system work. I, I really think you need to separate the two because it just gets a bit messy. Could you get someone to punch harder in a training camp, i.e. they come with you at the start of the camp and they come out the back end of it for their fight and they're a bigger puncher than they were at the start of it? So um, without doubt, I think like, okay, if you want to punch hard, punch hard, but also the S&C certainly plays a role and merging the two together, that's how you'll punch harder. Are we going to get someone who's pillow-fisted punch like Gennady Golovkin? Absolutely not. But can you see improvements without doubt in terms of maybe going a step further here and for the listeners is how that would occur from an S&C point of view. There's a lot going on. You know, we talk about the kinetic chain, kinetic linking, transfer of energy from foot through to fist. Well, as you well know, from foot to fist, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, different things that we can kind of work on. We might start, I touched on skipping, we might look at ground contact times and how explosive you are into the floor. We might look at the calf complex, gastroc and soleus of how um, robust you are through those tissues so that when the foot strikes and the kind of muscular tendon unit as well, the Achilles tendon, when the foot strikes, you don't want to bleed energy. We then might look up the chain of, okay, if you're locked through those anterior hips and we want to rotate and throw that backhand and fully extend the hip, then, and you can't access the position, we're going to lose power. So getting mobile through the anterior hip complex and getting strong through the glutes that are going to drive you forwards into hip extension, that's a key area of focus. We then might look at the trunk. So I'm working my way up now. The trunk, and something myself and George did all those years ago, was looking at midline control. Are we bleeding energy every time we throw a shot? Because this was a big conversation we had, George. You were hammering the ab crunches, which, you know, again, choose your battles. We let them stay in. But then we were doing a lot of pal-off presses, weren't we? We were doing exercises that help him buffer forces on the spine so he doesn't bleed energy. So we can use this center line as a transfer center from foot through to fist and then we kind of look at you know what what else goes on the lats the shoulders obviously shoulders as george knows are a very um prevalent area for injury for boxers because they're always in this rounded kyphotic forward head posture so doing as much preventative work around the scapula to build eccentric control and stability around the shoulder complex is very important um, especially when they throw that backhand 
um, because there's high forces going through there. And then we can even look at the tricep. The tricep extends the elbow joint. So when they're throwing that shot, that might be the last, uh, well, that and grip strength as well. You spoke on the grip strength earlier, George, is the direct correlation between grip strength and shoulder stability. So if we can improve grip strength, the shoulders then potentially become more stable by, via the principle of irradiation and co-contractions. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into it there. That's a kind of rough surface level take on throwing a shot and, and building power. You said to punch hard, you got to punch hard. First of all, how did you learn to punch hard? You have to drill it like over and over again. David Hay said to me, perfect practice makes perfect, not practice makes perfect. So if you're going to do it, do it properly and do it, you know, whether you buy into the 10,000 rule or whatnot, but it's repeated, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. It becomes that muscle memory maybe uh, that you just know how to do something. It's supplementing it with strength work you know or something along those lines i should love throwing the med balls when we do the med mm. ball throw it's quite punch specific and you've got that you know that maximal output there's no deceleration you just re release the ball we we're doing that right from the start of my career i was mm. doing that with all different all different trainers and um that's that's a great exercise that's a, re a really great i remember being in the third space which ain't far from here which has wilcox and we've they got a judo room there it's matted room and we used to go in there and just try and break it from medballs up against the wall. And then, but that would be complemented with um, a heavy upper body lift. So you'd go from that straight into something really explosive. And it was quite punch specific, really, that, that exercise. Um, so then you can have that correlation to then putting it into pad work. And then sometimes it's hard to punch properly on a bag. We can do it on the bag, maybe, uh, and then put it into sparring. But what George said there, the complex method exactly is doing a heavy lift. So let's just say a trap bar deadlift, for example, 85, 90% of one rep max to drive force production. You then have a, a short recovery. Research is varied in terms of how long the recovery should be. Then you go into an exercise that mimics the same joint angle characteristics. So for example, like a counter movement jump, an explosive jump. So visually it looks very similar, but actually on the force velocity curve, you've got one that's driving high force and the other that's more kind of velocity dominant. Um, and there's something called PAP, post-activation potentiation, which means you take the, the heavy lift, the, the force production quality, and then it drives into the jump and uh, you can supposedly jump a little bit higher. How hard is it to know yourself and be like, I'm not on it today? Or were you, were you just sort of conditioned to be like, oh, I'm fine, I'm 100% know what you're talking about? I think as a fighter also, you just got to be like, go with it, man. How yeah. do I feel? It's, an, it, it's, it's, it's a sport that, you know, you have to build up that resilience and that toughness. As, and it's not just always about, you know, having that, those perfect scores. They're a great indication of how you're thinking and feeling and it's a boost along the way. But, Ultimately, anything can throw you off, Dan, can't it? You know, like no. anything, you've got this sparring session coming up, anything can throw you off, mm. even just a slow start, you haven't warmed up properly. Then you might be, if you want to be that person who's going to look, look to blame, Dan might be the perfect poke to blame. It's like, look, <laughs> you trained me too hard yesterday and I was 10% down on my vertical jump before I started. <laughs> And uh, you throw and poor Dan under the bus. You yeah, know? did you get much of that? My athletes, thankfully, because you alluded to it there, like, yes, to the external public, they'll be like, nothing will phase me. I'm fine all the time. But that's not what a team does. A team has to peel the young man back further and say, no, are you fine? Because I need to know this information because what you say to me now will factor into what we do. So that, that comes with trust, communication, getting results over time. But George is right that fundamentally these are boxers like... 
you know, get on with it type thing. You've got to learn your fighters, but also you've got to learn how fighters in general are operating. Exactly, yeah. And that takes time for sure. It's understanding the environment, having that open line of communication. And actually, uh, another one would be Josh Taylor with Ben Davison. Ben was brilliant, you know, for that Ramirez fight over in Vegas when he became undisputed champion of the world. Um, let's say he had 12 rounds sparring programmed. And Josh won't mind me saying this, his sleep is a real issue for him sometimes. And sleep's our biggest recovery tool that costs absolutely nothing. Well, if this is a type A male who's like foot on the gas all the time, which he is, and he's a big thinker, well, that's going to be an issue because over time, that's going to mean he's going to burn out. It's a fact. Like, there's no way <laughs> you can't sugarcoat that. So I then say, okay, Ben, look, just let you know. And I've got all of his data that he's had, you know, four hours sleep last night and you've got 12 rounds sparring scheduled. I think it would be a time to, you know, if the first few rounds aren't going to plan, it might, we might pull that on six rounds and he'd take that that information on board. But for me, that's what a team does. It's an athlete-centered model and you've got collaboration and communication between each other piece. Type A male? Just kind of million miles an hour, foot on the gas, like keep going forwards all the time. If we go a step deeper and we look at the autonomic nervous system, you've got two branches to that. You've got parasympathetic and sympathetic, right? Sympathetic is fight or flight. You know, before a fight in the changing room, you want to be there. But then as soon as you've done that fight or as soon as you've done that tough training session, recovery has to be the number one driver. So then you want to make that shift into a parasympathetic state, rest or digest. And that's where breathing drills might come in. That's where sleep comes in. And that's where you want the brain to go away from that boom, 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 million miles an hour to start bringing things back down. You know, and it's choosing when to flick the switch. How do you flick the switch? Through various drills and strategies. Yeah. Like we go very deep into this, Declan. It's a great point. Like in a pre-fight changing room, I'm even looking at the playlist. We get myself and the fighter will put a playlist together, and we'll look at the BPM of the music. You know, we don't want to be, as soon as you walk in the changing room, let's say it's a 10.30 ring walk or first bell, and then we might get in there at 7 p.m. If we get in there at 7 p.m., someone puts some do, 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 trance on, bloody hell, you've got to keep that fighter up for a long while. And then you take your ergogenic aids too early, your caffeine and all of that. Well, then you've got an issue. So we might start with some lower stuff, some slow stuff. We might even start with no music and everyone just talk. But then, you know, when maybe 9 p.m. hits, they're getting uh, gloved up or they're doing their, actually what we do is where they do their warm up with me, that's when we flip it. I'm like, right, change the music now. Then we start really livening them up and then we'll do our first caffeine shot, let's say 45 minutes before first bell then they'll have the other one 15 minutes before first bell so there is an art to that in terms of how to shut off outside of the fight at the end of the session we do some breathing drills we'll elevate the feet we'll lay down we'll do some basic belly breathing with some of them it might not work with others I, I appreciate that um, and that will just start shifting that that state um, and then even just educating them like in the car on the way home after the gym when they're, they're going and, and you know recovery is the main focus with sleep don't go in the car and start playing some fucking techno or hardcore house because that defeats the object you know play some mellow Mellow magic or whatever it is, and uh, and mellow then go magic. to bed. She's listening. You look like a mellow magic man. <laughs> you were talking about like optimization, and you want to be, especially with a strength session, you want to be hitting the top end of your numbers and stuff like that. Is there any moments where someone's turned up, you tried to do the session, it's like it's not happening today, go home? Something we say in strength conditions: don't be married to your program, especially in combat sports. There's lots of stresses that are out there. We can talk about training stress, social media stress. Media obligations, having a row with their missus, 
whatever it may be, it goes into the same bucket. Something we do to go a step further than that, we have an element of both subjectivity and objectivity. So we do a subjective wellness questionnaire, which is four or five questions. How did you sleep? Anyway, rate that out of five. That goes into the kind of app that I've got. And then we look at the objective side. So we look at three jumps and it monitors neuromuscular readiness. So we have his score initially. And then if there's like a 12 to 15% decrement or reduction in that score, that might lead to future conversations. And it's, it's really sensitive How as well. How often are you doing this test? At the start of every session. Every it's session. It's only three jumps. Every three jumps. And the questions as well. Questions as well. Amazing. It has, it has to be because that then, and also what we say, we don't just take that data to say, all oh, right, rip it up, see you later. That would just lead to another conversation, right? You know, is there something you're not telling me? But then it also, it might mean that we don't just say go home. We say, okay, let's just say we've got five sets of five, 85, 90% of one rep max. So heavy flipping work, which you know, George will tell you is very taxing on the central nervous system. It might be we do two sets of the same. So we drive a little bit of a stimulus, get out, recover. So yeah, we, we call it auto-regulation. We, we base the athlete on how they are and how they present on that specific day. Because what I'll also say is it's not just about the strength and conditioning. We can't just look on a micro level entity. We've got to look on a macro level, bigger picture. And what if they've got sparring the next day? You know, that's the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. What we're doing feeds into the bigger picture. Thank you, Dan. I really, uh -huh. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to listen to it back. I'm sure I've learned something about you today that I didn't otherwise know. Back to getting in the gym, getting on that hill. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, chaps. Dan Lawrence never misses. I'm feeling inspired. One last little push. Uh, this, we're coming up into the championship rounds of these shows, and I love the championship rounds. Thing is, yeah, you know what you're doing in there. Like you're conditioned for years of doing it, but people like me were like, "Fuck, this is the." Like this is the end bit where it all matters. It's home straight. It's sort of shit or bust, all in. Leave nothing and nothing on the table, nothing in the tank. Do you have any idea these days how people can um, become an elite club member? You just need to make sure that you hit the follow button in your podcast. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. More followers, it means more guests and bigger names. Also, get on the old, get on shreds on the Strava if you're on it. If you're not on Strava, by the way, and you do regular exercise, it is very good tool anyway so if you're not on there it might be worth checking that out and definitely give us your feedback on the socials as always gg boxing club on instagram twitter and our facebook group and if you need um need a few tunes for your uh workouts any ideas george what do you reckon they could listen to got any playlist ideas i've got a great playlist idea deck just search the ring walk the ggbc the ring walk and they'll find all the tracks that myself declan taylor every one of our guests and many of you listeners at home have pitched in as some gym bangers ring walks just trying to get the blood flowing the juices pumping do you know a few people have actually messaged about where can i find the ring walk i can't find it i can't find it a good place to start go on the go on the twitter page the ggbc twitter twitter page and there is a link tree in the profile and if you click on that it has all of our stuff anyway all our content there and one of them is the ring walk um give it a listen it's popping off these days it's, it's very long eclectic mix um just what you need on a run uh, speaking of music, you can listen ad-free on Amazon Music these days. Final episode of The Shred is next Monday. And our regular programming is, of course, Wednesday. And it is with none other than the brilliant blonde bomber, Ebony Bridges. She's a hell of a brand. I think that could be one where we learn a bit as well. Just in case we do have a predominantly British crowd, do you know what British crowd's like? Australian. Famously. They love if Australia. If anything, she's going to have an accent and it's brilliant. Yeah. Good day to all of you lot.